The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Discover the power within. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. Discover a positive path for spiritual living. Welcome to Voices of Unity with Rev. Jackie Fernandez. Uh, This is Rev. Jackie, and we are closing out Hispanic Heritage Month today on Voices of Unity with the fabulous Maggie Cook. That's Maggie with one G, which makes perfect sense if you know that her birth name is Magdalena de la Cruz Cook Garcia, Latina. uh, Maggie is a Latinx businesswoman. She was born in an orphanage in Mexico and grew up in poverty along with 68 brothers and sisters. Can't wait to hear more about that. Maggie will share her story today with us and how she went from losing her basketball scholarship to growing a multi-million dollar salsa business, the dip, not the dance, and then returning to the orphanage in Mexico to help rescue 31 orphan children from a drug cartel. Maggie is an author, a captivating speaker, which we were so blessed to have her at the Unity People's Convention this past June, and um, also... Maggie is a unity minister. Welcome to the show today, Maggie. Thank you, Jackie. Thank you for having me. Uh, I am so happy that you are here. I've been looking forward to this day to have this conversation with you. You you were just amazing at convention. Your story is so compelling and your heart even more so. So I just really appreciate you taking time with us today. Absolutely. Thank you. So tell us about first about your unity background. How did you become a unity minister? How long have you been associated with unity? Tell us, tell us. So when I sold my uh, my company, when I was sold at Campbell's and I moved to the Detroit area, I went to a gathering, a business gathering. And within that business gathering was a man who was associated with the Renaissance Unity in Detroit. Yes. And he he was very interested in me, and he asked me to speak, come in and speak one Sunday. And I came and spoke and never left. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I became a minister there. I was um, uh, through their program uh, in connection with Unity mm-hmm. uh, Worldwide Ministries. And I, I think I was ordained in 2015, I think. 2015. Okay. Ah. And I was I served there for a couple of years. Then I moved down to the Florida area to be a minister with uh, Temple Hayes here in St. Petersburg area. And then I relocated to Clearwater and I'm a minister at the Unity of Clearwater here with Letty Hammock. 
Awesome. Those are all very familiar names to me. And I too was ordained in 2015. So I, I didn't know that you had, we, had the, we had the same ordination birth date. That's awesome. Yeah, very cool. So, um, so that's some of your unity background. Now, of course, we need to hear more about what it was like to have 68 brothers and sisters and um, just your childhood. Tell us. So I grew up in Mexico in an orphanage, and we, I was born in a, in a mountain region uh, away from the city. So it was probably like uh, 40, 45 minutes away from the city, and that's where I was born in and, and grew up. And our life wasn't really a typical family. You know, it, it was uh, a constant struggle with fear, with hunger. I mean, we would go up to two weeks without food sometimes in my yeah. earlier years. And it was very hard because there was only two caregivers, two adults. And for 68, I, 69, including you children. Well, that's, that's how many were adopted by them, oh, wow. uh, 68. Okay. But there was other kids that came in. That's not counting what, what, you know, the kids that were there throughout the years, but there was other kids that came in that were never adopted. They was, they were just provided a home wow. food and, and place to stay. Wow. So, uh, -huh. so it was such an environment of when I say fear is because I, I sometimes I felt like I, I could die at any moment. Mm -hmm. Um, if if there was some sort of uh, disciplinatory action that was taken and the guy was really, really strong mm -hmm. and I saw him deal with other people and deal with me sometimes and, and he was very strong that I thought maybe we could die mm -hmm. at any moment. Uh, but there's, there's just so much. There was um, obviously very much mental abuse, like psychological abuse. Right. And uh, there is just a combination of it. I think my instinct of survival when we didn't have food was to go out into the mountains and become a hunter. And I still have my original knife that I used to hunt with. Wow. And my secret place was a cave that I dug out. It was probably, I don't know, a meter. I think it's 3.5 feet. Uh, so I think that's what it is. Mm -hmm. I, I my meter was my I'm sorry my cave was built in a um, in a in a canyon inside of a mountain that, that was barely walkable, so nobody could find it. And it was probably about three meters in straight, and then two meters to the side to a right at like a, a 45 degree angle. Mm -hmm. And I w would go in there and and like kind of like be by myself by myself to kind of be away from the world to tried to just have like my little sacred space, either that or the mountains, but I, I could not be fine there when I would go there. Wow. And, and it was, it was a struggle with, with everything. I mean, I, I don't even, I know that they were probably trying to do the best they could with what they had, but to, to take care of that many kids, uh, I mean, it's, it's impossible to me to really provide what a kid needs. Right. So I grew up with, with that. And then I think the thing that really, that really sparked on me was just the hope for something better. I was always hoping to get out of there and thinking about ways of how, what I could do to really come out of there. And I remember at a very young age, I started to, to write my goals and do visioning, even though I didn't know anything outside of the barbed wire fence. 
I used to um, just visualize myself as a super successful woman. And I remember I, I had a suit on and high heels and I was behind a mahogany desk. And, you know, it, it, you know, I had long hair, except for I have short hair now. Uh-huh. And, and it, it all it all came true. Uh-huh. And it took time. It was so hard because in life now as adults, you can make a choice and make a decision and come out of and decide to come out of a situation using your mind and using your circumstances. But when you're a kid, you're, you're kind of stuck in a place that you can't go, really go anywhere because there's no options. Right. So for a very long time, I had to practice a mindset of optimism and hope for something better, even though if it, it, it was so scary. And I get to think that a lot of the other girls that I grew up with suffered more perhaps than I did because I decided to be this very strong tomboyish girl that nobody, so nobody could would mess with me. Mm-hmm. And I have sisters that were raped, um, sexually abused, and I, I almost was raped by a, an older guy, and I ended up breaking up his nose because I was stronger. But a lot of other girls didn't get to do that. So, um, it, I mean, it was it was really a difficult situation to be in. And uh, one of my, the things that I discovered was when I was in junior high, then we would go to school there in the orphanage because a teacher would come in from all, all the way up until sixth grade. But when I went to secondary school, which is seventh grade in town, I was always looking for ways to, to, to think how I could, you know, better myself to what, if I could find something to get out of there. And I found basketball, believe it or not. And... I started playing basketball because I saw Michael Jordan play in one of those little black and white TVs on my principal's office. Mm. And I just started to practice and practice and started to get really good. And I remember practicing with a blindfold and I, when I, when I was growing up, I was always, we were, we were always paired up with older children to take care of us. And when we grew up, we were paired up with younger kids to take care of and. I had this brilliant idea one day when I had to carry an orphan kid named Pancho in my back because he, he couldn't walk because he had spinal bifida. We actually mm-hmm. had found him on a dumpster years before. And so since, you know, Pancho had to be with me all the time and he couldn't walk, I, I told him, Pancho, I have an idea. You want to play a game with me? And he said, yes. So I told him that I would blind myself and... He, his only job would be to tell me to stop and turn and he get to have fun with me <laughs> to stop and turn while I dribbled the basketball. And that's how I got really, really good. And I say stop and turn because you could fall off the cliff right. or hit the concrete. And, and I did end up hitting the post uh, because he thought I was watching because I was dribbling so good uh, at that wow. stage just in my forehead. But that's how I... Wait, so he thought you were cheating. Yeah, that, yeah. <laughs> I thought I was cheating because I was dribbling so good. But that's how I became so good at dribbling basketball that in high school, we were national champions. And I got recruited by the Mexican national team at the last, very last game that we had. And when I when that happened, I really thought that I, I had it made. And I remember going to Mexico City to visit with the president of the Mexican Basketball Association for Women. And they were very interested. And 
they told us that they would get back with us. And so I went back into the orphanage and a month went by two and then three. And I didn't, I didn't know if it was really going to happen, but I was very, very hopeful because it was taking its time. Mm -hmm. But I went out and played um, football with my brothers one day, American football, because somebody right. brought mm -hmm. in a, a, a ball like that and we've never played it. And I remember Julio, one of my adopted brothers was throwing really long passes and I was catching them and, I mean, it felt really good, and I was kind of competing with the boys, and he threw this really long pass, and I caught it in the air, and I fell on the ground, and I felt this really complete oddness in my body, kind of sort of like when somebody punches you in the gut, and you just bend over because you can't breathe, mm -hmm. but I got up with no problem, and I was like, oh my gosh, there's something really wrong, and I was started feeling my body, and I noticed that I had done something on my shoulder area. So I ran to my caregivers, who was a doctor also, and he stretched me back, like pulled my shoulders backwards, and he says, your dreams are over. Oh. I, I broke my collarbone, and you could see the bones were protruding. And I was very shocked, and I was upset that I cried. Uh, the thing with an authority figure like that, especially a doctor that tells you your dreams are over or you've got cancer and you're going to die, you really believe them. And But I, I chose to, I, I completely like so strong-headed that told myself, nope, nope, my dreams are not over. If, so, if this is happening to me, there must be something else because this is what I've been working for. And I have, I, I have this feeling, I just have this feeling that, that this is not it. So a couple of days went by, about two or three days, and we get a call from the Mexican national team, and I couldn't go. <clears throat> That's when it really hit me that, that I had lost the opportunity. But it, it turns out that it was about four or five months later that my parents or my, our caregivers took a bus to the United States to tour the United States to gain uh, funding for the a nonprofit. And they took all 68 of us. And we were touring the United States, and we happened to be invited on a, on a picnic in Charleston, West Virginia, uh, on this Catholic church. And we arrived there. There's a lot of people. And my brothers and I noticed there was a basketball court on the outside, one of those outside basketball courts. Mm -hmm. And we ran towards it, found the old ball that was laying on the side, and started to play basketball. And there happened to be the coach of the University of Charleston. And she saw me play oh, wow. and she went and found my caregiver and told him that I, that she wanted uh, to have me come to play basketball on a scholarship for her. And that really, that that's really the reason I'm here today speaking to you. And, you know, I, I often think that I could have been the person that would have said my dreams are over and not played that day. Mm -hmm. And I would have, wouldn't have been here because I would I listened to him. But because I didn't listen to the, that authority figure, I, I, I changed the outcome, the course of my life. And that, that really changed everything for me. And it was really hard coming here, too, because when I first came here, I didn't know any English. So um, I went to a special school for, to learn English, and they told me that I, that I wasn't teachable, that I couldn't learn. And... and but somehow, I don't know, I, I don't even remember exactly what happened, but I ended up passing the TOEFL exam and getting into college. 
and it was really a struggle, a one-on-one with my teachers. I'm just thankful that the university had the ability to sit down with me after every class and explain more in detail what the class was about. But I ended up playing three sports and scholarships. I started with basketball and then soccer and then rowing crew. Oh, wow. And, and I graduated with an, a degree in interior design because when I was in junior high and high school, I graduated with architectural degrees. And so that was the closest that I could find uh, there. So I went in and went for that. But what happened was that when I graduated college, I couldn't find a job in West Virginia for interior design. I think there was two or three firms and I went to all three and uh, they wouldn't hire me. And so at that point, I was graduated and was living out of my car. I had a station wagon and I was living out of my car for, for a couple of months. And uh, one day my, my engine exploded. I was going up in one of those hills in West Virginia and, and my engine exploded. And I, I didn't know what to do or anything about what to do with a car that goes bad. I mean, didn't even know about calling a tow truck or anything. I just picked up my my bags and started walking and I was living in the forest for about, you know, several months, uh, additional several months. And I didn't really live in the streets much because I didn't want to be seen. Mm-hmm. And I didn't want to contact my caregivers because he had told me before, before all this happened that I would never amount to anything that I would die in prison and with AIDS. And he said these things because I, I came out as uh, as gay to him, and and so I didn't wanna my ego didn't wanna be like you're right your your, pro- your prophecy right. was fulfilled right and that and also I didn't wanna go back to where I came from, and so I toughed it out. But to me, you know, I didn't even know I was homeless because I was living in the woods like I was living in the woods in the orphanage. It was familiar um, familiar territory. Yes, yes, yeah. and and I I did have food. My my food was uh, really I think back then the ramen noodles were like oh, yeah. a couple of cents. Mm-hmm. So I yeah. would buy them at the grocery store and then heat them heat them up and, and put water in the gas stations, pretend like I was a customer, mm-hmm. and then go back in the woods. And I was like that for several months until somebody found me that knew me from the university and told me, "Are you crazy?" You know, and. Uh, she got me a place to stay, and uh, it, it happened like I think three or four weeks later that I was entered to a salsa contest in West Virginia. And the reason why I was entered into the salsa contest is because when I was in college, I used to make this a fresh pico de gallo salsa, mm-hmm. and all my my friends and my classmates and teammates loved it so much that they told my teachers about it, and then they had me bring it into class. And so that, that's the reason why they signed me up. And, and I, I went there. I attended the, the contest. I won my unanimous vote. I beat everybody. And that's when I thought I, I had something. That was my aha moment. Yeah. You had something all right. <laughs> you know, I just, like, it's not lost on me that your degree was on interior design. You know, just looking at that metaphysically, you had been designing the interior of your soul and your heart your entire life you know and um just from a small child and you know that time that you spent in the cave 
you know, creating your vision and just how authentically you came into those spiritual practices, even as a young child. Um, that's just yes. not lost on me. It's so beautiful. So beautiful. Yeah, I think, I think I was preparing my mind because yeah. I, it's really, to me, it was really interesting and awesome to read about affirmations and goals and visioning later mm -hmm. in life. And I'm like, wait a minute, I was yeah, doing you that. You were doing that. You were doing yes. that. And even, you know, as you said, like as a child, you don't, you don't know what's outside of your very small world. You know, you don't, you know, and the voices of authority, you know, what they say to you are really just gospel truth. Right. And mm -hmm. the voices that you had speaking to you were not loving and supportive. And so to be yes. able to access your inner wisdom and that inner yes. guidance and to hear that even in the face, you know, of what was happening around you is, is just tremendous. Yes. It makes me think of now a days of low income neighborhoods or, mm -hmm. or uh, African-American neighborhoods where there's gang violence and drugs and all these things. And, and I've seen that people feel or believe that that's all there is. Therefore they stay there. Yeah. But I had the curiosity and the hope of, of seeing what was beyond that. Yeah. And you'd be surprised what you find if you're just, but have the courage to, to, to take a little bit of a leap and, and figure out what's out there or try something new to try to get out. You'd be surprised what happens. Yeah. I mean, that, that's, and that is the power of hope, right? That, and yes. working together with courage is faith and courage working together to bring you forward Absolutely. into, into creating that reality. And, and you're right. I think it, um, it can just snowball like that with just one small action. You know, you create, you create space for yes. other people to be in that same path. And so it, it, what it feels like in the moment is someone found me, you know, but but you've made that invitation already at a soul level. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And I think one of the most beautiful things for me that happened during when, when I was homeless was the fact that the moment, the day that I felt a tremendous sense of peace and knowing that I was even freer, more free because I didn't have anything to worry about. I didn't have yeah. bills to pay. I didn't have, a car to worry about, a house, nothing. And it was it was a feeling of, this just me and, and God. This yeah. is it. I don't need anything else. I'm completely happy. The moment that that moment happened, that's when the, the lady manifested. Oh, wow. Which was pretty amazing for me. <laughs> yes. That is. That is amazing. And so the salsa contest, seemingly, yes. seemingly that's a point, you know, because we sort of isolate these, um, you know, this this point in time and space that that changed everything but but it was a long time coming and a long time in the making but that's yes. that's the moment that seemingly everything changed yes absolutely and and even then when i won the contest and people were asking me where can we buy this stuff is so good and i was telling them i i don't sell it i i don't have any money to make this like like for you know to sell it and I was in that space for about three hours. And I remember when the event came to an end and I started to pick up my my table. And I remember during that time that there was a gentleman with, with a suit. It was, you know, when you're talking to people and somebody's looking at you and you can feel their energy, like yeah. that, that somebody's looking at you. Yeah. 
Well, he was the, he stuck there for a long time. And, and when I was done with all that, he came to me afterwards and he says, you know what? He says, I see this passion and fire that you have. And I know that, that this can, this will be a great success. And he says, I'm going to do something for you. But in one condition, he said, as long as you someday pay it forward. Yeah. And he took his wallet out and he gave me $800. Wow. And those were the best well-spent $800 of my life because I bought a little chopper and I bought my first, you know, produce, uh, tomatoes, onions, garlic, cilantro, and all that in my first containers. And that's how I started selling it, selling the product by the pint to friends. And any money that I would make, I would just reinvest by the dollars into what I went into the gallon batch of salsa. And it, that's how it, it grew little by little. Wow. Over and what was the, the length of time, the period of time? Well, I started the company in 2004 and it, it was really hard for me because I don't, didn't have a business degree, didn't go to school for business or didn't know how to start a business. Mm -hmm. And it was very hard because I, I wouldn't even get support. I, I couldn't get help because my product was very, back then it, it was not known, you know, fresh, fresh salsa. Uh -huh. And so I, I remember calling, you know, other salsa companies and of course they didn't want to talk to me. And so I made it a point to just go into Google and start researching how to start a business. And that's how I started it. And it really grew from the point of, of selling to friends. And what really made my decision to take it to the next level was when I created a, a list of supermarkets to call. And I remember I made this list from the smallest to the largest supermarkets in the area. And I started to call them one by one. And, and I got, I, I marked 90, close to 90 stores that told me they didn't want my products because they, they were telling me they didn't understand what the fresh concept of salsa, what is that? You know, because everything back then was, um, a cook salsa, like right. a tostito salsa. Right. And I just didn't get anywhere. And I remember at one point I had a friend was telling me that I should quit, that I should just get, get a real job. And I remember I decided to put the list down one day and I called a local manufacturer and they sold ready to eat products, kind of like, uh, like, you know, salads, like mm -hmm. I do, like, mm -hmm. How do you go like potato salad, like ready to eat products, like in containers, like I did. And I asked them, you know, how did you get into supermarkets? You don't, you don't know me. Uh, her name was Joe Bono. <laughs> she owned that big company. And I said, you don't know me. Uh, I, I really want to get my products into the stores. And she said to me, you know, uh, it took us a long time, five years to get into the first store. They're really not going to listen to you because you're not really established. So I, uh, well, Maggie, we're going to pause right there because it's time yes. for us to take a break, but we're going to leave that sure. little cliffhanger and we're going to hear okay. how, how it works out when we come back from the break. Thank you. Sounds great. Discover the power within unity online radio. The voice of an awakening world. 
Thanks for joining us. Welcome back to Voices of Unity with Reverend Jackie Fernandez. And we are back with Maggie Cook, uh, who's in the middle of telling us her amazing story of going from an orphanage in you know deep poverty and um, and great suffering for her and the other children, sixty eight of them, um, actually more than sixty eight of them, and how through the power of just turning to uh, hope and courage that she moved into the United States on a basketball scholarship and and then sort of stumbled into this opportunity of making salsa. So you are in the midst of telling us about how you, the, you had an investor give you $800 to start yes. sort of organizing this, and then you're trying to get it into uh, grocery stores because it was yes. a fresh product, not and this was no paste picante, right? Right, that's right. <laughs> so tell us, you're on the phone asking people, how did you get your ready to, you know, fresh food into grocery stores? So they basically told me that I, 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 they would not listen to me or I couldn't get into the stores because I didn't have really anything to show for. I mean, I didn't have a history. And I remembered that was the last uh, sort of like a setback that I had. And I went back to my list the next day Instead of continuing down the list, I, re- I decided to turn it upside down. And uh, now at the top of the list was the largest organic retailer in the United States, which was the Whole Foods Market. Right. So I changed my approach. And that, that's what, what I've always done when, when I come to a halt. I figure out how can I change it to, to approach that situation differently. You change the game plan, right? Right. It's right. like speaking right. in basketball terms, you change the game plan. Yes. Yeah. Yes. And so I called the Whole Foods Market and I left a message and I said, hey, my name is Maria Magdalena de la Cruz Garcia. I have my some pico de gallo and salsa. I think you guys would love it. And sure enough, I got a call the next day about 6 p.m. I was parked in the city center and I was the main guy at, at Whole Foods. And he said, is this Maggie? And I said, yes. He says, this is Eric from Whole Foods and I'm freaking out. And he <laughs> said... Uh, we heard about you. We want to know more about you. When can you come? Oh, and wow. they, they were meeting the next day at 9 a.m. And I said, I'll be there. So I went back to the kitchen and made salsa and packed it up and started to drive. I literally didn't sleep and, and drove all night to get there. When I got there, I went into the room and there's uh, all men in the room and they opened my products, started tasting them. And they, Eric gets up at one point and he says, we love your products. When can we have them? Wow. And I said, and I said, well, how much do you need? And he said, well, your first order is going to be 10,000 pounds of salsa. <laughs> and I was really thinking, I mean, did oh you play gosh. it cool? Did you play it cool? Like, oh yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't, I don't remember what my reaction was, but I remember I was, I was really uh, like, oh my gosh, like, uh, how am I going to do this? Yeah. But I was just asking myself questions internally, but yeah. uh, as soon as that happened, I had to figure out so many different things because one of the biggest things is, you know, I was making about 250 pounds of salsa every week for friends uh-huh. and to go from that to 10,000 pounds of salsa, I, my biggest challenge was I didn't have money and I didn't, and the banks will loan me money because I didn't have nothing to show for also, you know, with them. So I decided to get a contract with Whole Foods that showed that they paid me within a week and I borrowed, I needed about $20,000 for cost of goods for my products to make them. Uh-huh. And uh, I got some friends to 
you know, I was able to show that contract and, and friends that trusted me that I would pay them back. And I borrowed that. And within the first week, they paid me $40,000 oh, wow. at Whole Foods did. And then from then I gave back the, the amount that I bought, that I borrowed. And every week it, it was just multiplying and multiplying. And it's really amazing what happened there because initially nobody wanted to do business with me, but now because I was in Whole Foods, uh, everybody started game. calling me. Yeah. And that's really when it, it, it just kind of grew and, and took over on its own. And, uh, I really say the rest is history there. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it doesn't come with any, it comes with a lot of challenges because sure. I had to figure out, you know, how to, to get the product there. I had to get my truck driver's license. I had to hire a bunch of people to make it. And, and it was just a learning process from then on, but I was very, very committed to making it happen, including getting the product there, which, which I, it was a challenge with my truck, the truck that I had. Uh, but really, uh, the, the rest was history with that. And then um, I got a call from Walmart and, and I used throughout my business uh, life there, uh, steal my affirmations and my visual visioning. And uh, there's one that I talk about in my book on, on how I manifested Walmart because Walmart doesn't call you, you call them, people call them. And there's yeah. a lot of people trying to get their products in Bentonville. Sure. And they called me because of, I really believe the energetical power of manifestation, the, the affirmations that I used in my book that, you know, which are there. I actually have a list of what I, what I, you know, align myself for the, the all this thing, all this stuff to, to happen. And once I was in Walmart, that's when my, my business went over the million dollar mark within the first uh, four years. Wow. And, uh, and, and it just, grew very, very large. We were in uh, 38 states. We were in all sorts of supermarkets and Sam's clubs, Walmarts, Costco's, Kroger's, Publix. Uh, and, and it just, just grew from there. And it was fresh. It stayed fresh, yes. right? That was your, that was your thing. Yes. That's amazing. And then you eventually sold the business. Yes. To Campbell's. Yes. Is that right? Yes. My business sold to Campbell's in 2015. Um, it sold with Garden Fresh. And, uh, you know, a lot of people ask me, uh, are you going to be okay because you're getting rid of your baby? Yeah. And I told them, you know, sometimes it's good to let go yeah. in order to allow greater things to happen. Yeah. And uh, it was soon then when, when I sold my company, it was within six months that I got a call from Mexico telling me that 50 people were going to take over the orphanage and, and, take the kids and it was related to drug cartel activity and other terrible stuff. And we actually ended up rescuing several little boys and girls that were mm -hmm. four and two and four years old that were severely raped. And we were able to, to rescue these, these kids and, and keep the rest of them safe. And it came from my brother who runs the, the orphanage, but his issue was that he was in another country doing business, you know, raising funds and all the kids were just there. His wife was there. And I remember we had, I remember when I arrived, we had, um, I have a brother, Jose, that I grew up with, adopted brother. Mm -hmm. And he had the guns ready. I had a 38 special handgun and he had a Mexican Echisa shotgun. And I remember, uh, I, set up a really expensive phone system because the only way to get signal was to climb a tree with my cell phone. Wow. 
and I reached out to the Comandante of the Federales. I met with them and I met with the military which were in the area. And I told them, asked them if, if anything should happen, if they could come and help. And they said that that they would doubt it because they were on government business there, but if they could, they would. And I think it, it was about 30, close to 30 days where we slept in the concrete floor outside and the kids were in, in this room and there was a lot of activity going on. I was so tired that I figured that there was a dog and this cage, chicken wire cage, that was like a bull, bulldog, pit bull or something dog. She was a, a girl dog. She was all white and she kept barking all night at anything that moved. So I had this idea of tying her around my waist and if anything was really coming, she would wake me up and that's exactly what happened. Wow. And um, we ended up having some incidents that we were able to fly in the, the military and uh, they actually caught the people. And from then on, the the federales would come in every evening with her, with her um, cars, with her gruas, and they would patrol the orphanage and stay there. And I, I think I have a video um, that I showed at the convention, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you can see all that activity there. Mm -hmm. And I, ended, I remember I would wake up at 4 or 5 in the morning and make cookies and coffee because I wanted them to come back every single day. Mm -hmm. And once that happened, I think everything was, was uh, finally we were uh, assured that, that nothing further was going to happen. And that, that was that experience. But the thing is, you know, come full circle. Yeah. I grew up in this orphanage where my nightmares, even up to, to I was in college, my team members would wake me up because I would, I would be screaming in my nightmares of my nightmares were of me trying to fly away because they were trying to get me. Mm. And, I would barely, barely get away. Like it was like somebody was almost got my feet and I was, I got away by flying. Um, and so I would fly, I would learn to fly and fly away. And I would look down at this orphanage and th there was chaos and burning and kids were being killed. And I would stake out in the mountains and I would wait for caregivers and other people to leave. And I would fly back and teach the other kids how to fly so they could fly Aww. away from me. But my biggest thing was that I could only save three to five and it just killed me. Yeah, That was my nightmare because I couldn't save all of them. But me going back full circle uh, all these years later and being able to actually save all the kids was, I can't even explain that to you. Yeah. It, oh, it I, was feel just, it. I feel it. Yes. Yeah. Some things in words yeah, words fail, but I, I certainly feel the power of that. Mm -hmm. Um, so, so we asked you at convention, we, we had a video with a theme about embracing change and you were so gracious to spend some time with us in front of the camera after your keynote, you know, and, and really just kept it. I just asked you to talk about change. <laughs> you know, I gave you very little direction, you know, because yes. I knew that you, you had, you had the answer and it was really just more about a sharing from the heart. Um, yes. but you know, really you've talked today, you know, about the hope and courage, um, you know, and how you, those two powers work together to, to create change. You use those powers. Um, you know, we call it faith as well, faith and courage to, to create change. So I'm going to have, um, our engineers roll the clip, the audio clip from the video, which I will also post on Facebook. Go ahead, okay. Louie. We are not here in this earth 
without purpose. The biggest thing that I can tell you is that when you stop growing, you die. And growth is about change and change is about growth. Like the Edison light bulb, how many times did he change his approach until it lit up? And that's what we need to do is, is never quit, never stop and always looking for if something's not working, how can I think creatively outside the box? Change within happens first because that's where everything else emanates. So you have to be conscious of it and know that even you as a human being, as a spiritual being, as a person, that if you create that change and always thinking of that mentality, that consciousness, then you're gonna permeate it outside of you and then the people around you are gonna receive that and become part of that. So you kind of create sort of a, like a movement. And our purpose is to constantly grow and evolve as the amazing spiritual beings that we are. Amazing spiritual beings that we are. And you just, you know, you fully, your story, you know, you have lived everything that you said in that, in that little video and sharing that. There's like, thank you. It's not just, I, it's not lip service, you know, it is yes. like you have, you have demonstrated that possibility. Yeah, I love, I'm just going to say, I love that you chose the butterflies. Yeah. Because they, they especially the Mariposa Monarca, which is the monarch butterfly, mm -hmm. is about transformation from yes. going from the warm to the cocoon and coming out the butterfly. I love that. It's a very powerful message there, too. Yes, it is indeed. So talk what's what's happening? You sold the salsa business. You've you've gone into ministry. Um, you you have your book, which you mentioned that you have um, you listed your affirmations that you used your book, Mindful Success. You teach workshops called success workshops. I want, let's let's talk about those things. Yes. So my book is, is called Mindful Success, and it's basically a spiritual journey with sort of a storytelling of my stories in the past and how I approached things, how I did things. And it's about how to use your mind to transform your life as a really powerful t tool because that's all I had. And my one of my success workshops is uh, uh, based on mindful success. And it's mostly about... Uh, how to create med meditations for manifestation, what to do exactly, how to create, for example, powerful affirmations, um, go going through those steps, and, and how to create a strategy for that manifestation, and how to go into that powerful meditation. And, uh, and then I talk about things like inspired action. And I know that I talk about uh, vision boards, but now I call them action boards. Because, I love it. Because the vision board, the vision part of the affirmation is what I've created through Meditation Creator, which is a program that I'm actually coming up with, with within this month where it's something that I talk about in my book that I did that really, really set me uh, in, a, in a totally different level because when you do these types of affirmations you are visioning within your affirmation and they're recorded so you don't have to peek or read anywhere mm -hmm. you just go into the meditation you read you listen to your own uh mindful meditations uh, affirmations that you created and they're paired up with the most inspiring music that allows you to create that emotion that moves you mm -hmm. because i really believe that emotion uh, really is a, a great manifestor. It moves everything, the, your entire being, and allows for greater things to happen. Uh, 
for for your success and so it's based on all that and and so that to me is my vision vision board my visioning i don't have to get out of my centered meditation in order to peek and say okay what's next no it's all there and then my action board now is the steps that i need to do to get something to make something happen which meditations to me are so powerful because they open the pathway for for like let's say if you wanted a really nice car and you meditated about that and all of a sudden all that when you go out on the road you'll you'll notice that car more right than you've noticed it before so it, it's about opening up to the people places and circumstances that you didn't notice before to to acknowledging those and then creating change creating your action board based on those little snippets of information that come in as opportunities that we could miss if we didn't do the process. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. And so um, your process in, in create is not just like, well, I'm, I'm going to create this affirmation and just repeat it. Right. You know, you're putting real right. action and intention um, with a clear vision and strategy behind it. And, and then trusting that by doing that, that, like you said, you see the people, places, and circumstances that are most likely already in front of you and around mm-hmm. you, but you just see it differently and with new right. eyes. Yes. And the, the beautiful thing about this is that I can rewrite them as many times as I need to yes. or add new music because to me, I'm a person of change. Yeah. So if I listen to the same meditation uh, for a whole week, it wouldn't have the same effect in the following week, for example. So right. it allows you to continue to be creative and change because it's about sometimes if you just change one word and an affirmation, it changes. It, it gives it completely new energy. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for mm-hmm. sure. And and because you evolve with your ideas, you know, and, and as they become yes. closer to coming to fruition and or in as they unfold, maybe is another way to say it, um, different levels of, of fruition you you become more specific or more open or more directed and so yes. by allowing that um, fluidity you can really be present to what is because your first idea might have just been like a launching idea you know, yes. you, know you wanted a red car and then now it's a dark red car and now mm-hmm. it's a you know and you, you just get you become you clear in the vision and you're like actually I don't need a car what I need is you know I mean just mm-hmm. you know and it allows that freedom of that so you're not getting so just pigeonholed into something you know it's like it's like that prayer you know this or something better you can stay in yes. that energy of that of of completely opening as as you grow into your vision yes yes it. absolutely so what about your success workshops that's that my success workshop is based on this okay. right here the mindful success uh-huh. and i could i could really break them into different uh, categories this is basically for meditation this workshop is for to creating a uh, mindful meditations for success. Okay. But if you, it, it's all kind of interrelated, it could be focused all on, on there's, there's different pillars in life. There's family relationships, uh, money or, uh, what success, uh, monetary, mm-hmm. uh, there's, you know, business or job, uh, and health, depending on how you want to look at those, everybody, it's unique for everybody. Sure. So, if let's say I wanted to create, a, you know, like a 15 minute meditation just for health, then you would focus it on that. And I guide, you know, people to to write those. And it's interesting because 
I did uh, a workshop for one of the Unity churches here in the area, and I let them know. I gave them my email. Send me your affirmations, and I'll let you know if if they're solid and strong. And a lot of them were very long and talking about different things. They need to be very, very specific right. in order for them to really have an impact in, in what they bring back to you. And so it, it, it's, it actually includes the this or something better in it. because It's actually the last part of it. Because if the universe has greater plans, if God has a greater plan, then why not welcome that even though you don't know that it's there, it's right. a possibility. I love that. And you said the word impact, you know, and that's something that people lose sight of, you know, like I'm going to write a book and who do you want to read it? Everybody. Who's your book for? Everybody. And yes. and then therefore it's for nobody, you know, it doesn't give a focus, you know, um, and knowing who you're speaking to or in the case of creating a plan for success, you know, being able to get really specific about that helps um, helps give direction. And, and then you can actually measure, am I reaching yes. my success? And, or was I distracted? I thought I wanted, you know, this measure for success. I thought I wanted to see it in my business, but actually it's, it's my family or actually it's, you know, it's really just money or, you know, yes. and so you, you get clarity about what, what you're actually working with. And, yes. and, and, and that all comes back all to about, impact. Yeah. Yeah. It's all about balance too. Because if you're strong in relationships and, and family, but your health is not good. So I have a set of meditations and affirmations for every area of my life. Because if my health is not well, then I couldn't perform and give what I need to give right. to the world. Yeah. So it, it's all about balance. Or think about it like a wheel in a car. Yeah. If that piece of the pie of if one of those is missing it's you're going to run like a flat tire sort of right, you know you're going right. to be able to not going to be able to uh, run smoothly so right. it's about balance and, and everybody's needs are different yeah and so once you you really dig in and discover your direction and what makes you tick and what makes you happy that's when you're going to be able to create the greatest impact for you that's the greatest impact in your world yeah I love that you're using that metaphor of the car because, you know, we'll get so excited, you know, distracted by, well, just my, my car's broke, you know, nothing's going yes. right. And, and instead of really looking into, well, which piece of it is feeling mm -hmm. broken right now, which piece needs attention and healing and, you know, so that it can all, because usually it's not the entire thing is broke, you know, but we're not yes. seeing those outputs, you know, we're not seeing the success that, um, but without really getting into how everything is interconnected and into specifically what outcomes am I looking for, then we can lose sight and just, you know, dismiss the whole thing. Yes. And usually what we go after is just our self-esteem, you know, therefore yes. I am a failure. You know, we just like <laughs> let it land right there. And I, you know, yes. and I, sh and we get into that. I shouldn't be doing this. And who am I to think this or that? So I love that really um, bringing strategy to the whole process of manifestation, yes. you know, so that it's not, you know, it's not lip service. It's not, well, you know, I just, I'm just going to manifest that. I'm just going to, you know, put an affirmation on it um, and then not do anything else. Mm -hmm. And the thing with meditation is that I found through research that the best time to do med to meditate is right before you go to bed or when you awaken, because according to scientific research, your mind is more programmable because you get to the part of the sub subconscious mind uh, right when you wake up or right before when you go to sleep to activate that. 
and plant those things right before that happens. I love it. And, so so and put, down, you can, put down your cell phones, people. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Wake right up and, and they, start checking your Facebook or, you know, but just yes. pause, pause. And you can invite the energy of, I want to continue this process in my sleep while yeah. I'm sleeping. Yeah, I into, love it. Into building this. And it's really interesting because I have a, the little notepad beside my bed and and I have it there for a reason because I would wake up in the middle of the night with an idea mm -hmm. and I want to be able to sleep so I just write yeah. it down and go back to sleep back yes. into my dream yes I love it we do so much work in our sleep and so you know to give your your subconscious and your in your mind really just the space to do that and and to trust you to capture that I love it yes yeah that's beautiful yes. well thank you so much for sharing your story your heart and your your energy it's just fantastic this has been a really grand way to um, close Hispanic Heritage Month here and you know this has been a time of really celebrating our Latinx leaders in unity and the ministries that um, they have created and the work that they're doing to really capture these voices and so thank you, Maggie, for contributing to the conversation this month. Well, I'm very honored and humbled that you have me in your show. I, I really thank you. And, and I know that it's doing great, great work to, to inspire people and make people of this world a better place. So thank you. Ah, thank you. Do you have an affirmation that we could close this episode with? Everything that I have is personal. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't have enough, like everything is really, really personal uh -huh. to me. Okay. Uh, you mean you want me to give you? I mean, sure. One, one of mine? Sure. If, if you're willing, if you're willing to share, I don't want to, you know, if it's too personal, that's okay. But I'm just curious just to sort of, you know, put a point on the conversation. Well, it's, it, they're really personal to okay. me. Okay. Um, but I, I tell you what, um, I have, I'm willing to give out my, uh, my information, my email. Okay. And, and, you know, you know, help others create one affirmation. I love it. Okay. I will okay. put that in the event. I'll put your contact information. You let me know which Perfect. email offline. Thank you so much, Maggie. And so You're and, very welcome. until our next episode, always, always, I invite our listeners to tune in and tune up your life and spirit. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. I'm Dr. Mona Lisa, and I've been a medical intuitive for over 30 years. Let me help you find new ways to heal physical and emotional problems. Be a part of my Healthy Living Intuitively podcast studio audience every week. Follow me on Facebook, Dr. Mona Lisa fan page, and Instagram, Dr. Mona Lisa One, to get that information. I answer audience questions, and you can learn from people calling in that might be dealing with the same things that you are. Follow Healthy Living Intuitively, part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network, and wherever you get your podcasts.